Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Coffee House and 1820 Marketing in the heart of Alvin, Texas. We're excited to be back for season two of the podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who might be a good person for us to highlight, please reach us at info at 1820marketing.com to let us know. Today, we are again at the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the sponsors of this podcast. Texas Snowfruit is also a sponsor, and you can learn more about both of them later in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. On this episode, we have Melissa Washington, the Intergovernmental Relations Lead for the General Land Office of the State of Texas. That's a very long title. Welcome to the show. Right. Good morning. It's an even larger business card. I yeah. think it's, it's, really, about, yeah. it's about an eight and a half by 11 card that I hide in my back pocket. Wow. So what is intergovernmental relations anyway? Well, my job is to be the connection between local elected officials and organizations and the state of Texas general land office. Um, it is in Austin, but I get the fortune of being able to work from my home here in Pearland. Oh, nice. And now before that, I know you worked at the chamber before that, I'm assuming you worked somewhere else. So tell us a little bit about A little your bit about me. Um, yes. Well, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, and okay. um, stayed pretty local. I was able to go to A&M for my undergraduate and got a geography degree. And everybody says, what do you do with a yeah, geography well, uh, that's, degree? That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> well, I learned about why people interact with the areas around them. And so that led me actually to the University of Colorado, where I got my master's in urban and regional planning um, and decided to do a little historic preservation Along that way, I got married to a gentleman who came back to Texas and Houston. And there's not much preservation going on, paid <laughs> right. positions anyway, in Houston. Okay. So um, I did a little bit of work at MD Anderson in their uh, development department. And I got to a point where I was ready to have children and decided to stay at home for a little while. So I have two beautiful children. Uh, my husband, JW, and I have a as he calls him, his 15-year-old man beast and our <laughs> yeah. 13-year-old power princess. So oh, TJ and Emily, princess, yeah. power princess, she has she has the control of the family. Yeah. So um, stayed at home for a little while and realized that I don't sit very well. I wanted to be yeah. out and about and um, needed to do some things. So I started my own business. I had a clothing business, which um, helped me learn how to network and learn yeah. how to be involved in the community, which led to the chamber in Pearland. Um, and I was asked to be their vice president of um, membership and governmental relations. So all roads kind of started to converge when I learned that I love to be with people. I love to um, promote my community, but I also learned to uh, get a little bit involved in how our leaders help us in this area. So um, I was there for about three years when Harvey hit. and. Oh, wow. um, I think Harvey changed a lot of people sure. and made uh -huh. us kind of realize where our hearts lie and what we needed to do. Right. So um, I actually spent that week of Harvey at the Pearland Neighborhood Center, um, realizing that there is a greater cause in this world, and that is helping others. And um, I realized that this community is amazing, and it comes out whenever people need it. Right. So um, I decided, actually, I was trying to think about what I needed to be doing in my life because um, everybody's searching for something else, right? right. Every road sure. leads to a different road. 
And one day this gentleman walked in, and he was an Aggie, and uh, he had re- recently graduated um, and been tasked with servicing the 48 counties that were affected by Harvey. And um, I looked at him. I said, how are you doing all of this? And he said, well, I'm, I'm blowing and going and going 100 miles an hour. And I thought, well, you know what? I think you may need some help. And so I got on one day and got on the website and realized that um, they did need help and that they were hiring for the area. So I, I said, okay, this is where I need to be. And luckily, I'm able to service my community. Commissioner Bush said we need people in the areas that were hit that know the people and are able to communicate and be that liaison between locals and Austin. So um, I joined the team, and three years later, we, I'm now leading part of the team um, that covers all of those 48 counties. Wow. Like, you know, you mentioned that – you mentioned Harvey – Right, you mentioned forty-eight counties. So forty-eight counties. There are some states that forty-eight counties is a big part of their state. So how many counties are in Texas, and what did you learn biggest from that event at Harvey? Uh, well, there's, I think we've been put me on the spot. There's over two hundred and seventy counties in Texas. Okay. Um, underneath the um, action plan that we have, especially the mitigation area, there's hundred and forty of them that are eligible for one of our rounds of funding. So. Um, Harvey changed a lot, but realized, I think more than anything, it galvanized people to come together it, to realize that they, um, there is a lot of counties and there is a lot of structure to each county and there is no county that is the same. Right. And that is the one thing that I have learned because I service myself, Galveston, Fort Bend, and Brazoria. So I leave Pearland in the morning and head either of which ways. Yesterday I was actually in Richmond and Lamarck. Oh, in wow. the same day. So okay. um, it de- just depends on what day and what's going on. But um, I, real- I realized that everyone has their own priorities for their citizens, but everybody has the same goal. And um, Harvey taught everybody that it doesn't matter what race, what economic status, right. what age, what anything, water doesn't matter. They don't, water doesn't care. It's going to affect you every way. And right. the best thing we can do is have those relationships and be able to come together in the state of crisis to be able not only to recover that week, but recover in the long term. Because the one thing I have learned working in this agency is that nothing happens quickly and everything yeah. takes a very long time. I always heard it that the, the wheels of the city, the larger the city is, the slower it takes to turn, which is what that causes. Yeah. So how did, just take a step back, how did things like working at the chamber lead you towards how did that knowledge, because I worked with the chamber, we know each other through chamber world, like those partnerships, I'm sure that gave you the benefit of a, a pretty decent Rolodex of people to call, if that makes sense. And for the young kids, Rolodex was the thing that had business cards in it. <laughs> Some people still have them, Jake. No, no they don't. Okay, maybe they don't. <laughs> well, I realized that your sphere of influence is the most important thing that you can focus on. Um, you need to learn to get to know and to be able to interact with all levels of folks. You need to be able to talk to the person who is has the hot dog stand on the side of the road, and you need to know the person that does the legislation on how that hot dog stand can work. Yeah. Because your best asset is being able to connect people. And I think that's what I enjoy the most about my job. Um, I tell people I know a little bit about a lot of things, right. but I know the exact person who's the expert. 
So my job is to be able to bring you to that person that can help you the most, and you guys take it from there. Um, I I try not to step in lanes that I don't know much about, but I can promise you that I will find that person that will help you. And that's the one thing about the chamber is that it is all about making connections. You never know who you're going to talk to at an event. You never know their background. And you never know what you're going to come up against six or eight months down the road where um, that person could be very beneficial. Yeah. Or you could be beneficial to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that I know I've learned too is, like you said, I might not know how to change a tire, but I know who to get you to to get that done. So, yeah. Yeah, he can't change a tire. Well, I no. can't either. It's okay. <laughs> okay, that was a bad example. I can't. Let, <laughs> let it be known. I can't change a tire. Um, but also, um, I bring it up because you mentioned your husband and kids. You like to exercise because I saw you at the AISD education run one year. And I just remember you came running by and you waved. And I was like, who? What? <laughs> well, it, and it's funny because I, I have learned that... Um, Self-care is the most important thing you can have because if you're running on an empty tank, nothing happens and you can't be very good for anybody else. So, um, yes, I am one that gets up crazy early. Um, I used to, I used to spin at one of the chamber members in Pearland and I would get up at 4.30 every morning and then I would post about it on social media and people thought I was crazy. Um, I don't do that anymore. (laughs) That's the one thing COVID has kind of slowed me down a little bit. Um, but I do get up every morning before the sun, before my kids, because that's my me time. Sure. And I don't have the mom guilt of having to cut it out something in the afternoon when I could be spending my time with them. And I start that day. And it, the good thing is that my family has come to realize that it's enjoyable to be together and to be outside and to be exercising sure. and to work our bodies um, the way that we were intended to work them. And so we're blessed with certain things, but then you have to work for certain things. So um, interestingly enough that you say that we did a bowling tournament this weekend or last weekend. Oh, I saw that. I did see that. Yeah. My husband is a rodeo scholarship winner. And so that is where we started our volunteer work in Houston. And he is now with the, um, Alvin Pearland Metro Gotexan team. Okay, great. And so we came and one of the, um, candidates running for office walked in and said, Oh my God, you're everywhere. And I said, no, I'm everywhere you're at. And that's my job is to make sure that I, um, and yes. at those events and at those things that um, you can be seen so you know that I'm still here. Right. Because a lot of the things, um, especially with my job being Harvey funded, because we are a federally funded program, run through the state. We need to realize that we're still here. People think that Harvey was there and it took six months and everybody's fine. Right. There's a lot of people who aren't fine. Mm-hmm. And there are big projects and there are small projects that are still working and will be working because the timeline this grant has is 14 years. So, um, well, there are things from Ike that are still, um, working and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. It's a long time ago. So, um, my job is yes, fun a lot. I get to go to a lot of lunches, meet a lot of people, but I also do a lot of the heavy lifting in the background. So, um, that's, that's the fun part. No day is the same. So, so how do you keep yourself organized with so much going on? And it sounds like it's not just, so somebody that owns a business, they have a lot going on in their business. You have a lot going on your business, outside of business, your kids, your, your husband. How do you keep all that organized? I have a shared family calendar. 
<laughs> and it nice. does, and, and everything goes on both of our calendars. Um, my 15-year-old, 16 in November, wow, <laughs> um, knows that if something's going on, soccer game or whatever, it has to go immediately on the calendar. Um, some people may say I'm overscheduled. Um, my assistant in Austin is like, man, because she gets a notification every time I put something on my calendar. Oh, wow. So she just realizes, you know, I'm just going to. I'm just going to pass through that and not going to worry about it. But um, if I am, if it's not scheduled, there's too many things going on, too many wheels happening at one time that it will get forgotten. Right. Um, there's been times that I've gotten this morning, actually, I realized that I had forgotten to do something the night before because I hadn't put it on my calendar. And so I used to keep a paper calendar, but the problem was, is I had four paper calendars and I had six oh, lists, yeah. but yes. it's yeah. very nice to be able to cross off physically something Absolutely. off of a list. Yeah. So my calendar is on the phone, um, which I have with me all times. Actually, it's on both of my phones. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have two Story phones. for another day. Right? <laughs> different, different story, different day. But that list, I do have a, um, a pad in my bag, and I do like to check it off because it proves to me that this has been done. Yeah. Um, so you're that check person. Yeah, my yeah. wife's the same way. Jake is kind of the same way. Yeah, I'll block out and put to do, and then in the description I'll put, things that need to get done and I'll print it out and mm -hmm. we'll sit at the coffee shop and the staff will walk by and go, you print it out. <laughs> like, yes, because I want to physically scratch it off. Keep in mind the staff is all 19, 20 year olds. That's true. Yes. So, yeah. We did just have a meeting with, uh, with our friend, Darren Shelton a couple of days ago was showing us how he's organizing things. And he actually puts on his calendar, the same thing on multiple days, not necessarily blocking a particular task, but a subject. Like I need book time. Mm -hmm. He doesn't put what it is, but he makes a point that during that time he's doing something with a, with a book, either reading or, or yeah. whatever he's doing. Exercising. Yeah. And you have to tell yourself that this, it, it's an appointment with yourself. Right. And you have to make that time because if you don't put it on for yourself, whether it be a book or whether it be LinkedIn, I actually have put LinkedIn at eight thirty every morning right. because I realized yeah. that he, I was he did the same thing. scrolling yeah. through other things and that's, business related it's starting to get very important right um you will schedule other things over it absolutely and there are a lot of people especially in the networking world and in the, in, in the in the chamber world that make their living off of facebook because that mm -hmm. is how they are seen um and i realized that i need to be productive on facebook and some of the right. other social media sites instead of just scrolling and sure. so you have to be very pointed on when you spend time in certain areas. And sure. sometimes it gets to a point where, yeah, yeah all you want to do is veg. And right. you, I'm, yeah. I don't schedule vegetation time. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my couch at this time. No. Right. Um, but it, it, it's important to kind of see, take a week and look at what you actually do. Write down what time you spend doing what. And you'll be amazed at how much of that free space is covered up with thi or things that you thought you didn't have time for is actually free space that you're doing things that are wasting more time than anything. Instead of being productive on Absolutely. social media. Right. right. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about the general land office, figure out what that even is and how Melissa's role helps local governmental entities and businesses and citizens. But first, let's take a moment and thank our sponsors. Hi, this is Christina with Texas Snowfruit. We're a shave ice company located in Scopel Square in the heart of Alvin. Stop by and see us or visit us on our website at texassnowfruit.com. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. 
Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. Welcome to this week's marketing tip, posting images online. When you post images online, such as to Instagram, Facebook, or even your website, it is important to use your own images, or at least images you have the rights to. Professional photographers' images are often used without their permission, and they don't get the credit they deserve. If you use images you are not authorized to use, you risk a hefty bill from the owner of the image, or maybe even face a lawsuit. Images you post can be searched through Google, and there are even companies such as Getty Images that constantly search the web for website images that are used by their clients. To paraphrase Liam Neeson, they don't know who you are, but they will find you, and they will demand you pay them, and you will have to remove them. And we're back with Melissa Washington from the General Land Office with the state of Texas. So let's start 10,000 foot view. What in the world is the General Land Office? Funny you should ask, because there's a lot of people who don't realize everything that the Texas General Land Office oversees. Um, We've got multiple different divisions, and I learn about something new that we do every day. Um, At a state level, we um, run the Veterans Land Board, the uh, School Trust. We have uh, work in the Alamo. We have a Coastal Division, and we also have Disaster Recovery. So... um, there's a lot of things that are touched that people may or may not know about every day. The most things that people along the coast know is that coastal division. We do uh, all the beaches and things of that sort. Um, we have an oil spill recovery response division. Um, and then the long-term disaster recovery is the group that I work in. Um, we are a group that is federally funded through HUD funds, community development block grant funds, and um, they are all related to a disaster. So whenever um, the, the team was very small and was working on um, Hurricane Ike and Hurricane Dolly from Austin, a very long, very long time ago, Dolly, and, I, yeah. and I know that because we still have things on the books from there. Um, they were also working on some of the wildfires um, in, the, uh, in the central Texas area. Right. So um, then Harvey hit. And we realized that there was damage beyond compare that needed to be addressed throughout a very large area. So um, right now we have a Monday call. And because I know this because we're all doing it on COVID instead of meeting together, we have almost 200 people in our division now. So we went from a team of 15 or 20 to almost 200. Um, There are grant managers. There are environmental folks. There are... um, monitoring and quality assurance folks. And um, all of those people have very special places in my heart because those are all things that I don't like to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure. Um, there are the numbers peoples, um, but I'm the one that wants to get all of the program information to people in local areas. So um, bringing it down to about 5,000 foot right. view, yeah. um, we receive money from HUD 
after Hurricane Harvey. Um, presidential disaster, there's a very long process that it has to go through, unfortunately. But once the money gets to the state of Texas, um, Governor Abbott uh, asked Commissioner George P. Bush to be able to oversee this project. And so we, our t- he handed it to our team and said, you need to break down this $8 billion wow. into programs. And so they divided it into multiple different areas, actually two major areas. One of them is uh, working with housing and infrastructure. So we literally had programs that people could sign up for to help repair and replace their houses. We had a program where if you spent money out of pocket, you could apply directly for reimbursement. Um, We've had multifamily housing projects, which actually I can say that we opened a new one, or actually not a new one, but one that the program just finished here in Alvin about Mm -hmm. two weeks ago, um, where that units were destroyed during Harvey. So they, the developer used our funds to be able to go back in and revamp the entire complex. So it was about 175 units that, um, um, for the people of Alvin to be able to have, um, and nobody wants to have a disaster, but if it is usable and can help to increase, um, the productivity of people and because where you live is the most important thing to you. And so they're in a safe, sanitary, secure, um, upgraded place and they can go forth and, and rebuild their lives. Um, and then we work with local governments to be able to do infrastructure projects, drainage, wastewater, things that, um, generators that a lot of the local areas either did not have were destroyed during Harvey or could be upgraded. So, um, a lot of those projects are just starting to wrap up in the infrastructure realm, but we're only about halfway done with our housing. Wow. It was over. We hope to service about 6,500 um, wow. families um, after disaster. And I'm using these numbers because I work outside of the city of Houston and Harris County. Um, and those are the numbers that are in that realm. Um, there's been a, they received direct allocations outside of the money that the general land office received. We work with partnerships with them to be able sure. to make sure that everything flows well. But um, the numbers that roll off my tongue are typically outside of that central hub in Harris County. Yeah. Um, now, the second tranche um, is the, of the first of its kind. Um, HUD sent us down money to be forward thinking. To How can you mitigate future loss? And so... Um, which everybody is is very interested in because you can count numbers of houses that were damaged now and the dollars that you had to spend to repair them. But what if you use that money looking forward? What if you put that money so where it didn't happen again? How much could you could save? How much pain and suffering could you alleviate? I mean, I know you can't put a dollar amount on that, but um, if you can lower the water level in somebody's house by 12 inches... I mean, you still have four inches in your house, but you don't have that much. Four feet of damage. Four yeah, feet, right. right. And so um, that's the major areas that we are um, rolling out now. We yep. had two major competitions where people threw out um, actually 140 counties because it was for everyone who has been in three different disasters. If anybody's interested, the website is recovery.texas.gov. Um, okay. We have a lot of of information there um, on all of our projects. A lot of pictures, a lot of fun things. Um, the General Land Office is on Facebook and Twitter and 
Instagram, I think. And uh, I I don't do Instagram. There's a lot of tracking of all of the things that we're doing because that's the one thing we want to show is that we are here to help. And as long as there is somebody who is still in need, there will still be programs um, available. The problem that we run into is there will never be enough money to cover all of the damage. Sure. Yeah. And so um, we will help as many people as we have funding for and uh, work with local officials to be able to make sure the the money that we do have goes into a productive use um, or to have them realize that when the next storm hits, they need to be our advocates to be able to bring the appropriate amounts here to the area. Yeah. And I think that's one of the struggles that I see because I've been in meetings where you talk about the, the tranches being the funds being released from like Harvey, which was 2017, 2016. It'll be four years this month. Yeah. So like it's four years now, you know, and like you want to talk about the wheels of the government going slow four years later, you're just now able to kind of disperse these funds to help people. Right. How, how is that determined? Cause I know that I'm not, saying there's a checklist or something, but there's got to be some kind of formula or something that you look at for how these funds are distributed. You know, you mentioned that you're not working with, you partner with Harris County, mm-hmm. but the funds you work with are kind of outside of that region. And that's good. Cause that means it's coming down to Pearland. It's coming down to Alvin. It's going down all the way to Lake Jackson. I, like you said, Richmond, Lamarck, like there's this huge area. Mm-hmm. You're just providing the information to the people that, decide where the money goes. How do you collect that data? What is that data? (laughs) Well, part of the timeline is that you have to have a locally declared disaster. Then you have to go to the state level. Then you have to go to the presidential level. And that is all kind of checking to make sure that yes, this actually did happen. And then once that happens, you have to have um, a federal register processed. You have to have HUD see how much money that you want, you have to approve, and it just goes on and on and on. So um, there, there is efforts to be able to um, have one codified, this is how we're going to do this. Because after every disaster, they have to do a new one. And right now that ends up being taking the most time, sure. is that you have to set forth, and they are three or 400 pages long, mm-hmm. um, rules on how you're going to be able to use this money. And so um, that is that first year almost. I mean, it's a, it's a lot before you're actually given the rules by which you could spend the money. And then it rolls based on what our, what our policy teams decides right. to do. But um, they're, sure. they're in charge of rolling out each individual program. And for housing, that is the most important thing, and that's what rolled out first, is that there are people sure. who are in miserable states, and they right. need our help the first. And so that is what rolled out first. But of course you have to have vendors and you have to have contracting and you have to have applications and you have to have things of that sort. So there is a time lag on everything just for the mere processing of it all. Um, This is my plug because hurricane season is about to start. It's here now. Yeah. Spend your $400 on insurance without fail. There are people who live and it doesn't matter where you live. Okay, I say that, but I've learned all sorts of things about the insurance program. Um, There are varying levels and varying costs depending on where you live. But save your money to spend that money because it will help you in the long run because that personal insurance or even um, in in FIP programs, 
it will get to you faster than any governmental disaster response program. And that is just because of the, the multitude of checklists and things that have to go sure. through. And the most heartbreaking thing is I've been to sev- in several recovery groups because Brazoria County has Brazoria Response, which is led by Mosaic in Action and has a, a lot oh, of sure. different groups. Fort Bend County has one as well. And I was in the Fort Bend County Recover Group. And they are talking about people that they went into their houses after um, URI. And they're realizing that there are people who had water pipe damages, but also had still not been serviced from Harvey. So they'd been living in their houses for three, and then, three and then and the freeze, years. And then the freeze, and then the freeze wow. happened. And it's, it's something that if you can be proactive in any way, take, sure. take that time to be able to get that insurance because right. it, it is a process. If, if we are coming in, we are that program of last resort. We, we are here yeah. to help you when, no, when sure. nothing else is there for you. Well, yeah. You mentioned the freeze, and I know that's something we haven't talked a lot about, but there's people that were damaged during Harvey. There's people that are damaged during the freeze. There's probably still people that haven't received assistance or even know where to go to find assistance. What Does, does your organization work with people to help them qualify? Or do you point them in the right direction? How can they find help if they need help? Well, right now um, – all of the Harvey funds right. have been have reached our capacity. Okay. Actually, they're over capacity. Sure. So we have stopped taking applications. Um, the best thing that you can do in your local area is to find those long-term recovery groups, whether it be the United Way, whether it be um, – Brazoria Responds is probably the best person to go to now because um, they're start, it is – conglomerations of folks have okay. realized a lot of the nonprofits sure. realize that they are more powerful together sure. as a, as a referral source for each other, because if there's one centralized place that you can go to, then they can refer you out to people instead of the homeowner or the um, resident having to know eight different places. Right. Because once they get in to that person's house, they may realize they need eight other things. Absolutely. Um, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is coming down there realizing that, there's a lot of uh, mental health assistance that is needed because you do yeah. have PTSD after a storm is real. Yeah, we've talked recently. We've seen a lot of organizations that are out there that weren't that didn't used to be out there for the mental health. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, it's great. Well, and you want to you want to have the person fully recover. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it takes a lot of different areas to be able to do that. A house is is just sticks and bricks when you come down to it. Yeah, but um. We are here, and that's the best thing about my job is that I get to network and I get to connect all of those groups together, and I get to be that resource to know where to send somebody. Right. Yeah, that's fat. That's great. Um, well, I appreciate everything that you do. Keep coming around. Yes. <laughs> keep, keep helping our area. We really appreciate it. And uh, I think so. The best way for people to get information is to go to recovery.texas.gov. Correct. And that's the best starting point. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Melissa. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for all you do. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of it, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Show notes and more are available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast as well. Thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week with a new episode.